Get ready to rock radio. And uh, we started there with uh, the track Life is a Long Song from uh, 1971. We took that, in fact, from the orchestral Jethro Tell album that Ian Anderson released around about 2005. And we're saying hello to the man himself. Hello to Ian. Well, hi there. And uh, thank you for uh, joining us and thanks for your time this morning. We're talking now uh, towards the end of uh, January 2010. And we last spoke in uh, 2007, three years ago. And since then, you've been awarded an MBE for services to music, um, which is a great achievement. We're talking now towards the end of January. Now, it's not too late to ask you, have you got any musical resolutions for this decade? Have you got anything you want to achieve? Yes, I have. I, I Absolutely right. I'm glad you asked me that question. My, my musical resolutions are not to do so much of it because, uh, because um, it does monopolize so much time. And I, I've rather determined that January I was going to have a month of not really doing anything musical other than just my little bit of keeping my hand inside you know I play my flute pretty much every day and strum my guitar and sing a song or whatever just just to keep in touch with it but not to, not in the sense of actually really doing anything seriously um, so uh, it, it's good to do that once in a while and in, in February I shall be doing a bit more serious preparatory music and finishing up some new songs and stuff and March of course we then we're on the road and and on and off through till Christmas um, but but my, my New Year's resolution is actually not to do quite so much of it so we, instead of doing 120 shows or something we'll do about 80 tops and um, there's partly a reason for that which is that I, I, I'm faced with two options under a new uh, increasing tax regime which is uh, either to, to work harder to stay in the same place, net of tax, or to say, sod it, my reaction is, I'm going to work less. You know, I can't be bothered if I'm, you know, if I'm going to be taxed that extra degree. Now, look, looking back in over the last decade then, I mean, you haven't been, you know, inactive. You might have um, been choosing your projects carefully, but uh, whilst we'll put Jethro Tull to one side for the moment, I mean, you've had a, a, a busy decade, really, in terms of um, several solo projects i mean what's worked particularly well for you in the last 10 years let's say i mean you know this reflecting on what's gone on in the last decade i mean what have been the highlights for instance for you well my highlights are usually about playing in certain places and in in, in a context that's perhaps outside the usual um uh, rock music kind of venue or rock music kind of performance so you know for me it's about little variety of getting into playing some special places and luckily both as in in Jethro Tull and as Ian Anderson doing solo concerts I get to go and play in lots of places that um, perhaps other rock groups don't get to play in or other artists don't get to play in because um, maybe we have a slightly more benign reputation when it comes to not trashing the joint if indeed the joint should be uh, some ancient uh, Roman amphitheatre on the shores of the Mediterranean or a um, some stately schloss in the, in the middle of Germany and wherever it might be. So, you know, the, the, I think those for me are the special things. There's live performance things in places that are, you know, where there's a little bit of a little bit of something in the air you can't quite, you know, um, can't quite analyse. But it's it's the um, you know it's the ghosts in the rafters of beautiful cathedrals or in the ancient amphitheatres or beautiful theatres and places that have uh, you know they have some history and you you mm. become just a little bit of that history for one night mm. and I think it's a very sobering and, and quite uh, energizing thought
Get ready to rock radio. Now, I know you're planning a new album this year. Are you going to be previewing any of that material in March on tour? Yeah, there'll be a couple of new songs that, that come out on the um, uh, on the March tour, and uh, um, and in fact, in fact, a couple of them we've been playing um, during the latter half of last year oh. um, in in other places, not in the UK. So, oh, well, actually, maybe maybe a couple of them I did on the the acoustic tour. But as far as Jethro Tull is concerned, though, that there's uh, some things that um, that are uh, new material which is not yet recorded. And and also some music which has been recorded but not released, which we have played during the last couple of years. So yes, I mean that's always been a feature, I think, of Jethro Tull's music is that, that we try and slip in something new, something that is being road tested in a way and fine tuned, and, and that that you know that goes back to 1970 when we were playing a couple of the songs from the Aqualung album uh, in live shows, but uh, they'd not yet been recorded. So it's something that I think is part of what we've done for a long time. Sometimes they get played live on stage and then, you know, they they don't really work out that well and they get ditched. But oh, um, yeah. the ones that we're playing at the moment seem to have had a good level of acceptance, so they'll be staying in the set for the next uh, while to come. I mean, there's been an element here recently, and it's bound to happen with a band with the... Um you know, the long history of Jethro Tull, that you have all these anniversaries, don't you? So, of course, we had the uh, the 25th anniversary. Well, th- those are things that a record company induced yes. moments of, of mild comfort zone hysteria for for the uh, <laughs> particularly besotted fans. I don't yeah. think they're of any real interest for me. I, I, I don't do birthdays and anniversaries. I mean, absolutely nothing to me at all. But I, I know that they do to other people, so I, I go along with it as long as it doesn't get out of control. But um, the, the 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 compilations and the and the re-releases and the live performances—I mean, there's been a plethora of those in the last, particularly in the last five years. And um, the I think even even at the moment, I mean, there are sort of re-releases and uh, and box sets planned and and live DVDs um, um, that, that during 2010 for the people who. Yeah, for the people who are the real collectors, you've just got to have everything that you, you you've done. I mean, there, there will be uh, some new stuff this year, which they can, which they can get. I mean, when I say new, it's new old stuff, um, and um, that's in a way what I think a lot of people prefer. And when, when folks ask me about making a new Jethro Tull album, I say, well, you don't really want a new Jethro Tull album. What you want is a, a new old Jethro Tull album. In other words, you want something that's you know, kind of like uh, something that we've done before, and you, you want more of that, and, and that's understandable. People want, uh, you know, they like their, you know, their meat and potatoes, and or their chicken tikka masala, and and they want some more chicken tikka masala, and um, uh, you know, I'm I'm afraid I'm one who, having tried chicken tikka masala, thought, well, yeah, but let me have the uh, king prawn sarg next time, or be a little more adventurous and try something I've never tried before from the world of Indian cuisine and uh, <laughs> and uh, I move on but mm. understandably a lot of people know what they like and they want some more of it yeah but uh, no Thick as a Brick Part 2 is not on the cards no now what about because um, talking of anniversaries uh, the big one next year will be Aqualung I mean have you set your mind at all to that or is that again going to be record company induced if something happens it'll be not of your well, it wouldn't be really. me to start it off, no. certainly. But then, you know, Aqualung, we played all of Aqualung on stage 
uh, and in fact did a collector's edition live Aqualung performance uh, for charity, and that uh, which I think is currently raised in excess of, uh, I should think, probably about 150,000, 200,000 pounds by now for homeless charities, and and in fact uh, some of it has recently been um, uh, diverted to less obvious things, mm. uh, um, like our returning servicemen in boxes. Um, and their families and so on. Um, so uh, yeah, it's strictly speaking, it's um, it's um, it's a, a reworking of uh, of old material. But then you know we play some songs from the Aqualung album in every concert we do. There's always yeah. one or two of them. And, yeah. and so uh, it might be the anniversary of it next year. But frankly, I think we've been there and done that in terms of focusing on the Aqualung thing and uh, to go out and say well we're going to play all of Aqualung on stage well we did that yes, two or three years it. ago mm, no that's right no, <laughs> and, well, and, and anyway you get into that that thing it just becomes I don't know it's, it's, um, I, I, don't, I don't feel constrained by you know it having to be um, made relevant by putting a zero on the end of something you know to give it a, a, a timeliness that makes it somehow more valuable I, 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 anniversaries and birthdays I can do with that Get ready to rock radio. Going back to the style of Jethro Tull, which has really changed, I think, over the years. You know, it's so eclectic, really, in the blend of influences. But going back to the early 70s, Ian, can you remember what you were listening to and when you broke away, really, from the <coughs> folky, bluesy sort of template with like this was, and then you went on to uh, Benefit, and then we had Aqualung, and Martin Barr joined the band. I mean, was there any event that... Um, you can put your finger on and say, well, I was listening to this or that, because you seem to go in a more, let's call it progressive, in inverted commas, format at that time. And I know that stayed with you for a long time, really. But um, what I suppose I'm asking is, what was the um, reason for any direction change around about the early 70s? Well, first of all, the the, the music that I listened to as a a teenager was was acoustic music. It was folk, blues, jazz and when the early days of Jethro Tull were marked I suppose by being an electric blues band essentially in its earliest months and then becoming a little more eclectic with the kind of music that appealed to me with a stand-up album but it was it was probably the Aqualung album by the time I was bringing to bear more of the the real acoustic moments and play acoustic guitar on record and then subsequently on stage. So it was 1971 before I think I brought that really acoustic element back into the Jethro Tull frame. And that acoustic music was uh, also, having been born, you know, in the world of blues and jazz, it it, it changed quite a bit around 68 when I was really listening to people like Bert Jansch and Roy Harper and and Pentangle and the, the, the kind of stuff that was going on that was part of a, a new British folk music not not traditional not not the sort of um, you know slightly clog dancing steel eye span thing which was a you know was traditional English folk that that was a something I you know I kind of thought it was okay but I didn't really you know revel in in that music but but the singer songwriter stuff you know the people whose um, whose music was a little more eclectic I mean people like Roy Harper and Bert Jansch particularly you know that that was something that that I felt um, moved me to to want to write some material which was singer-songwriter material. I, I call it that rather than folk music. Um, and that, that really started to become evident on Aqualung and, and through to the period around Songs from the Words when more uh, 
elements of folklore and and uh, rural, uh, both contemporary and historically rural Britain were elements that came in the music there. But then, of course, we were straight into the the new technology, and that uh, that was something we fooled around with for three or four years at the end of the uh, the seventies and into the eighties. So. Um, it's um, there have been a number of little changes of, of emphasis and direction, but I think the one thing on a personal level that keeps me musically in touch with some sense of there being a, a thread that, 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 that tracks all the way through there is, is, is acoustic music, and it's singer-songwriter acoustic music. And I still do that today. That's, you know, I, ideally, I, I like to write three or four-minute acoustic songs, but... You know, to a lot of the people, I'm known as a flute player, and so I'm also, from time to time, will write instrumental flute pieces or try and write music where I can offer up some section of the music which is is flute-based. But um, I think, I think as a musician, the flute's my number one instrument. As a as a songwriter, it's you know, it's it's the more stripped-down acoustic acoustic guitar and, and voice kind of thing is, is what I'm comfortable with and um, I suppose I, the, the two things are like, it's like two, quite different you know you, ca- you can't you can't play the guitar and play the flute at the same time <laughs> flute, once you start playing the flute that's it <laughs> that's what you do and so it's a, it's a big part of what I do and one that I try and you know accept um, happily is, is a you know big chunk of my musical life and I enjoy playing the flute much more than I than I have done in the past, and take it a lot more seriously, and work at it much more. So it's a it's a rewarding part of what I do, but it is in many ways quite at odds with the other part, which is the strumming a guitar and singing songs. Mm. You know, they, they are really from uh, you know physically and mentally quite different processes. Ian, was there any reason then, you know, back in the early seventies, to move away from that original folk? bluesy template but it was it was to avoid being an imitator and, and oh. people like eric clapton yes. may have managed to stay within that framework of blues and, and kind of do it a great service it um it's not something that i personally wanted to do because i didn't feel i didn't feel black enough to do it you know i didn't feel like i was culturally equipped and and it, it was not authentic somehow for me to simply just carry on with that. Uh, I, I didn't feel it was essentially, you know, my, my respect for the music is much too high to, to want to go and plagiarize it or or imitate it badly. So, you know, in many ways, it's best left alone. And, and I, my own origins culturally and in terms of ethnicity are, are more northwestern Europe, and, and so it's classical music and folk music, and and uh, I suppose the, the many elements of, of music that have come into our world which you know from my growing up years also includes indian music and or eastern music generally asian music uh, chinese indian pakistani bangladeshi it's all something that part of the world in which i grew up as a teenager suddenly there was a lot of asian people around where i where i lived and where i live now it's uh, part it's become part of british life and indeed has long been part of british music um, Indian music's been in my ears since I was a teenager. Do, do you think it was a blend of your tastes and preferences? And also, I, I, I can't help thinking perhaps Martin Barr coming in the band, because there's a lot of good riffs, aren't there, in those early albums as well? You know, w- w- where was that coming from, Ian? You know, that sort of riff-based 
Um, in addition to the songs, you had these classic, I mean, like Aqualung, obviously. Well, the, the, the risk came from being aware that people like uh, uh, Cream, you know, were the riffmeisters of their era. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, so was Jimi Hendrix quite often. I mean, they came up with simple, repetitive motifs that stuck in everybody's mind and were instrumental in nature. Um, Deep Purple with Smoke on the Water, I mean, another classic riff. Mm -hmm. But those those sort of elements also occur in, in, uh, in jazz, and they occur in classical music. I mean, you know, I suppose... Um, you know, no one, no one got it in, in uh, the hole in one that, that Beethoven managed. Um, well, actually, the hole in two. There are only two notes in da 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 dum. <laughs> Beethoven's fifth. Wow, that's it. You, you, you can't nail it better than that. And then these are things that people remember. I mean, just that simple little thing. Everybody knows, even if they don't know what it's from. They know it's an important piece of music and and so riffs are a big big part of things and, and i suppose in a way they, they still are today when you think you've stumbled upon a little sequence of notes that um you can make your own then it's a it's a good feeling it's it's uh it's very unique and very concise and very focused and you know, i think i think as a musician that's a great thing when you when you find one but you know bum 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 ba bum you know, like it could have been beethoven it's, uh, but it wasn't. It was me. <laughs> Get ready to rock radio. Well, look, we're going to play out with uh, something completely different, and uh, you might be able to shine a little bit of brief light on it, Ian. But we're going to play out with um, a track from your solo album from 1983, and it's Fly By Night. What are your thoughts on this track? Well, I think it's a rather fun one. It's, um, it's one that uh, was part of the experiment of playing with new technology, and that um, has, in fact,. Uh, um, orchestral samples uh, on that recording um, and I rather suspect they were actually orchestral samples that were derived from me, believe it or not, playing violin and cello samples onto one of the world's very first digital samplers and um, and then regenerating them, you know, as musical audio from a keyboard, but it was uh, that was that was actually in 1982 uh, Back end of '82 into '83, when, when oh, that yeah. song was written, and, and it uh, it has uh, it has a sort of uh, you know, da -da 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 -dum -dum, bum bum bum, just and these these are just these are just uh, samples from a violin and cello that I had lying around the studio. So uh, yeah, we were fooling around with that sort of stuff, and it's, it's a song. It's kind of it's not a terribly important song, but it's, it's it was a, a vehicle for some experimentation with with sequencing, sampling, and um, and that the earliest days of the new technology which swept its way through the 80s and still reigns supreme in the creation of most music today i mean 80 percent of the music you hear on the radio is made you know via computers and sampling and sequencing technology it's just become a little more advanced now in terms of software than it was back then i mean it sounds like you still have affection for that song which is really because i think it's a marvelous piece it's i mean it's a little bit commercial and catchy but None the worse for that, really. I mean, you, I think I have heard you play that live before. I'm sure you've included it, if not in Jethro Tull sets, um, certainly your own it, solo material. It, it, it has been played just a few times, yes. Uh, mm -hmm. you, can, uh, you can Google that song and, or YouTube that song. It's actually on YouTube, a performance from Vienna with a Vienna um, uh, Opera Orchestra, um, actually um, playing completely out of, uh, out of sequence. But uh, we'll let that one slip by. Did you sense I was a little bit cautious, Ian? Because I gather there will be songs that you just don't want to touch, really. 
No, but there, there, there are lots yeah. of those. Um, sometimes it's not that they're bad songs. It's just that I, I don't really feel a point of connection with them, and, and, and they're. You know, I think you've got to be impassioned by a bit of music. It's got to mean something to you. It's got to have a reason to be played, uh, and you've got to be, you know, a bit emotive in the way that you express it in a performance. Therefore, it's got to be for real. You know, you can't just bluff it. And, and there are some songs I just don't really feel that connection with anymore. At the time of performing them, and originally in a studio, it was you know you can get yourself into that and, and do it and enjoy it and like the end result. But a year later or ten years later, you don't really feel connected to it in the way that you are with certain other songs. So songs like Aqualung, it's very easy for me to connect with. It's, a, it's something that, you know, I can't walk around the streets of London or any major city in the world without confronting homeless people looking mm. for a spare coin or money to buy drugs. And uh, yes, it's, um, still relevant, so it's, uh, it? it's something that is, is staring me in the face on a regular basis and is my way of, in a way, acknowledging it and... Um, um, and sometimes through you know concerts and and records, you know, acknowledging homeless people as a as a source or as an outlet for charitable giving, because in a way, I I it's a bit of a payback time to recognise that that harsh social reality is something that gave me some considerable uh, um, benefit in my musical career, writing a song about a homeless person, and uh, it's. Uh, Yes, I don't find it easy now dealing with the issue or dealing with the people any more than I ever did at the time that I wrote the song. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, supposedly co-wrote the song, but we won't get into the niceties of that. Oh. Look, Ian, we've been really grateful for your yeah. time. I know you're running late this morning. Indeed, nice oh. to talk to you. And uh, it's been really splendid. It's always great chatting to you, and uh, all the very best for the March tour in the UK. Thank you. And um, best of luck in the future as well. Well, uh, we, we hope it will remain, uh, if not rosy, at least tolerable for a few years to come. Thank you for talking to me. Thanks, Anne. Bye-bye.